0: For all the men, as Dale said, that was a great segue into this. I wasn't necessarily going to say this, but um, for all the men, as he just applauded for hearing those voices on that song, I am now giving you the title of my sermon this morning. You are the man. Now, as we get through the sermon, we'll try to look to see, do you actually want to claim that or not? Our text this morning is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. And as usual, when I make references, I will probably paraphrase. It's one of those ones, instead of reading um, all of that scripture, I'll highlight various parts. In 2013, A 19-year-old Austrian skier named Teresa Stablover became the first Australian skier to take the gold and silver silver medals in the Junior Skiathlon, which in the Czech Republic was like a build-up to the Olympics. Ever since that time, she's been training for the Olympics And in 2018, so five years later, at the age of 25, she was the Olympic Winter Games participant in Seoul, uh, in South Korea. As the race began, she was a shoe-in for probably second place, since her times did not match that of the first place skier. But they felt she was a total shoe-in for second place and receiving the silver medal. With less than one third of the race to go, she mysteriously veered right on the downhill slope while the rest of the skiers veered left. By the time she realized her mistake and had corrected her course, She had fallen from second place to ninth place in the race. Her hopes for an Olympic medal vanished that quickly. Commenting on what had happened, she said, I don't know. I really don't know what happened. I took the wrong way and I did this twice. The second time I wasn't sure anymore of anything. I had a blackout. I don't know why I took the wrong way. Her trainer said that she believed that it was a simple mistake of taking her eyes off the track for just a split moment and then she lost her focus. Now there's a couple things I want you to notice about that story. She made a bad decision and it cost her something that was valuable to her. She took her eyes off the path for just a split moment and she lost the race. She lost all that she had trained for. We see an example, something like that in 2 Samuel verse uh, chapter 12, verses one to 14. We know that the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, He tells of a story that there were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. Ironic in our Bible study, we're talking a little bit about judgment, passing judgment in the book of James chapter 2 and showing favoritism possibly for somebody that would enter our group that was in rich and fine linen versus those that might appear to be poor. And we see that as it, we look, he the poor man had an animal, a favorite, that grew up just like one of the family, which for us to have pets is really true in our families most of the time. Then a traveler comes to town, as he says, and he visits the rich man. Well, the rich man has all that he would possibly desire, but what does he do? He doesn't want to take of his own. He wants to impress this traveler. So he kills this one lamb that this poor man has and offers it. We can see in verse 5, David burns with anger. How could this man do this? As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times for what he did and didn't even show any pity. Hmm. The title comes from now, verse 7. What does Nathan say to David? Nathan says to David, And then remember, Nathan is directed by God to say this. You are the man, David, says the Lord. Hmm. It turns back on David, doesn't it? David is so outraged, and then he realizes, didn't see that coming, where the story was actually spoken to him, and how humble he was. It reminds me of Peter. When Peter boldly states, Lord, I will not deny you. You must be talking about somebody else here, not me. And then how he must have felt when the cock crowed three times, and he realized that he had denied Jesus three times. And in one of the accounts, I think it's Luke, they talk about and you know, some of the what I understand and historically there was very possible that his eyes actually saw Jesus where they were at, that they could have seen. So not only does he realize, but then it's almost like a an eye-to-eye contact where it just would eat the soul right out of you when you realize what you have done. Verse eight. I gave your master's house to you, and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. Again, this is Nathan speaking to David on behalf of God. That he anointed him king over all Israel. He delivered. He helped David deliver Israel out of the hands of Saul. I would have given you even more, he says in verse 8. Why? Why? Did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Amorites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house, as you despised me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Hmm. Then David said to Nathan, in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. We know that the Lord asked for repentance. We know that we will sin. And we need to have that repentant heart. There are some people that you will say is spoken up; They will never say they were sorry. That's not what God teaches, does it? There are some people who say they were too proud to ever admit they were wrong. That's a little bit what we talked about in our Bible study this morning. The attitude of pride versus the willingness that God asks us to share, to admit and repent that we are wrong. That's what we look at today. This passage recounts the moment when Nathan, the prophet uses a parable to confront David about his sin of committing adultery with Bathsheba, who was the wife of Uriah the Hittite, and then arranging Uriah's death to cover up the affair that he had. Through the story, Nathan brings David to recognize and confess his sin before God. Although David is forgiven, the passage also speaks of the consequences of his actions which includes strife and trouble within his own family. And that is the second thing I'd like you to realize today. With sin also comes consequences. We know that David became a hero when he was just a very young man. When he he took the the uh, a giant, he is the only one young man that opposed the giant named Goliath. He took that giant down that quick, with God's help, of course. And from that day on, he was destined for greatness. Ultimately, he became a powerful warrior. He became a great leader, a man of God. He was the king of Israel. But then what happened? In the illustration I tried to say in the beginning, he took his eyes off the path, maybe just for a moment, He probably looked down or looked where he shouldn't have been looking. In 2 Samuel 11 and 1, we're told that in the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David didn't. David stayed home. He'd seen Bathsheba taking a bath next door. And you would have to say probably he fell in lust for over her. He invited her over for a little personal time. And before you know it, she's pregnant with David's child. Worse yet, she's the wife of a friend of David's, a close friend from what I understand, a, a man named Uriah the Hittite. David tried all kinds of things to make it look like Uriah was the father of the child, but nothing worked. So finally, David realized that the best way to bury his sin was to bury personally, literally, Uriah. And he arranged to have him killed on the battlefield. Then he took Bathsheba for his bride. You would say, oh, wow, he's home free. That's the way humans think, right? He's home free. He got rid of the problem. But no. God was wiser than that. God knew, and God sent the prophet Nathan to confront David about his sin. Nathan told David a parable about a rich man who stole the, the poor neighbor's lamb, and that's what we read this morning in our, in our scripture. When David heard of that injustice, notice he became angry and he says, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. He deserves to die and he should restore that lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Until he heard the words, you are that man. And you think about it. David had to realize how much the Lord had given him. He's fighting, it seems like when he was out in the fields, he fought wild beast. He fought against Goliath. He had to realize there was no way he was going to win those battles if God wasn't with him. When he was a soldier, a warrior, the battles that he won because of God, God was always with him. And then he realizes, as he's told, the sin, he does in the eyes of God. And suddenly David's family fell apart, doesn't it? It's not a G-rated story, as we would say. David's firstborn, Amon, raped his half-sister, Tamar. And then David did nothing to punish Amon. Then two years later, Tamar's full-blooded brother, Absalom, had Amon assassinated, and again David basically did nothing. As time went by, Absalom so hated his father that he staged a revolt to try to take away the throne from David, and Absalom died in battle. David's family became a mess because David took his eyes off the path and he lost the race his sin was so confused him that he made other bad choices with his family so what can we learn from david's story that's what we'd like to look at today first we know that sins have consequences especially if you try to cover those sins up i heard a some tv commentators Talking about a politician who got caught up lying about a crime that he had committed. And they said it wasn't the crime, it was the cover up that got to him. People might have forgiven that politician if he had just admitted his fault and asked for forgiveness. But instead, he tried to pretend it never happened. And he lied and tried to cover up his sins. Didn't work. So he lost the respect of the voters and his office. Often we hear things in the news, don't we? Where an individual, maybe they were speeding, they get pulled over. Then they decide to try to run, and things just get worse. And then that gets compounded that now instead of just a speeding ticket, they now have reckless driving. They now have, you know, flee of a police officer. They might have reckless operation. They might have an accident. They might, all the different things that take place with that. You see, that's what David did. He sinned and then he tried covering it up. It was bad enough that David committed adultery. Then he tried covering it up and he commits murder. And the worst part was they thought he could get away with it. That made his punishment worse than what it could have been. Because the sin was bad enough. The cover-up was worse. David talked about that in Psalm 32. In the Old Testament, remember, David's the one writing some these psalm. In Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5, he says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It sounds like a man who took the weight of the world, you'd say, or a very major burden off of his shoulders. David thought that he'd gotten away with his sin. He thought that no one would know. He thought that God didn't care, but but God did care, didn't he? God said, now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. Out of your own household, I will bring calamity upon you. David was foolish. He had forgotten that we serve a merciful God, but we also serve a just God. And that's what people have to realize in the world today. We come in contact with many people that say, We have a merciful God. We do. And they think that no matter what you do, you'll be forgiven for, which you will, if you meet him in his just way. There are parameters God puts on us. Be thou found faithful unto death. What is that faithfulness? Following God's way. Trying to do, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. There are certain restrictions put on us. So we got to remember God's merciful, but God is also just in what he does. And we've got to be careful not to take God's mercy lightly. Now that brings me to the next issue. If we don't face our past sins properly, our sins can rob us, of our ability to protect our children. In the illustration of the Austrian skier, did you notice that she had made two mistakes? I took the wrong way and I did it twice. The second time, I wasn't sure anymore. Have you ever got lost and then trying to correct it? Even got more loss, if that's possible? I know I've had that happen when all I had to do was, you know, the GPS says, rate calculating. And you think, all I have to do is just go down here. And I know in my own head, all I got to do is just go down here. And if I make a left, I should be able to make a left and another left and come right back to where I'm at. And the next thing you know, you're lost. I lived in Kiwanis Lake. My mother, you know, house is still there. I can't tell you how many people I came in contact with that were just looking how to get out. Once you got into Kiwanis Lake, it all circled around and all the roads looped into each other. You didn't know how to get back out. I can't how many people just stopped and said, hey, can you tell me how to get back out of here? Okay, sir, it's pretty easy. You made all rights on the way in, you make all lefts on the way out. It's just that simple, really. And that's all there really was to it, but you get confused. And I don't know about you, but I've been in a few of those neighborhoods where I get caught up and think, especially those new housing developers, and you think, okay, some of them are dead ends and some loop around. And next thing you know, you're like, I think this house, I've seen this house before. And you realize you're just going around in circles and so on. So my point being that we've got to look at, she got lost and made the wrong turn. And then she tried to correct it, but totally was confused because her eyes got off the path and she made a second wrong turn. And why did David do nothing, you ask? When Amon raped his half-sister, David did nothing. When Absalom put out a contract on Amon, David did nothing. Why did David do nothing? Why didn't he punish his kids? Well, I think he figured, I know that they've sinned, but I have done worse. So how can I justify punishing them? He felt that he lost his moral authority, and so he didn't feel that he had a right. Some people might feel that way, but yet when we look, we are all sinners. Proverbs nineteen and eighteen. What does it tell us in Proverbs nineteen eighteen? It says, "Discipline, discipline your son, for in that there is hope." Do not be willing. Do not be a willing party to his death. A parent who doesn't discipline their child is setting them up for destruction. God says, do not be a willing party to their death. Or Romans 3 and 23, New Testament. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not one of us has the immoral authority, the self-righteousness to do or say anything. We are not righteous. We do not do things because we are all righteous. But we know that jesus is paul said exactly the same thing what did paul say why did paul act the way he did in first timothy because you think about paul spoke with authority and if paul knew anything picture paul's upbringing paul persecuted christians he was there when stephen was put to death if paul says if there were if i was the greatest or chief of sinners but then he saw the light and how did he speak with authority then to those people that he used to assist in persecuting the Christians? He says in 1 Timothy 1 verses 15 and 16, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, but For that very reason, I also was shown mercy that in me, who is the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. When you think about it, Paul, in my mind, wrote nearly probably half of the New Testament and yet he's the one that said, I've been the worst of all sinners. I don't speak from the moral high ground because I am not righteous. Only Jesus is righteous. So I'm going to tell you what Jesus says, he says, I'm going to speak with the authority of Jesus. That's why. I repeatedly drive home the fact that you have sinned, that we each and every one of us sin and fall short, that I have sinned and I fall short. We only look to Jesus for his righteousness and his wisdom for ourselves and for our families. My last point is this, we know that God forgave David. David said to Nathan, and again, I'm going back to 2 Samuel 12 and verse 13. The Lord also has put away your sin, and that you shall not die. Now, if David had repented earlier, before he killed Uriah, he probably could have spared himself a lot of grief. But at least he eventually repented. And he didn't do his repentance just in front of Nathan. David publicly repented in the psalm in the Bible. Psalm 51 starts out with these words. A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him, after he had gone into Bathsheba, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for i know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me psalm 51 verses 1 through 4. i don't know what each and every one of us has done i know that i have asked god to forgive me of sins whether it be in the congregation here or at home personally but david recorded his confession his sin and confession is recorded for all for all time to read and see as an example and he knows that god is the one that controls all that is what we learn from this that when we look, many times we have a, a, an idea of appeasing our fellow man, appeasing our family, or doing things to appease each other. And there's probably nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to religion, we know God is the one that knows. We can, as what Captain Penny said, you can fuel fool some of the people some of the time, some of the people all of the time, But you can't fool mom. Let's put God in there. You can't fool God. You can hide. You can try to. But it's all a facade. God knows what we are doing. You see, David realized something that the modern world too often rejects. In order to please God, we've got to be willing to repent of our sins. We've got to be willing to confess that we've done something wrong. We've done wrong stuff. John the Baptist told people to what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We see that as early as Matthew chapter three and verse two. The apostles preached what? Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that you, that, or that he may send the Christ appointed for you. And that's in Acts chapter three. And, of course, we have Acts 2.38. It's very clear that repentance was necessary to become a Christian. What do they hear? Men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? What is the answer? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Today's lesson is a very powerful reminder of the consequences of sin, and the importance of seeking forgiveness from God. It highlights how even great leaders like David can fall into temptation, but when they acknowledge their wrongdoing and turn back to God, there is the opportunity for redemption and forgiveness. I'd like to close with this thought. An old juvenile detention center was repurposed and it was remodeled to become the new police department. But before it was a detention center, the building had been a school. So when it first was built, school, then a juvenile detention center, and now it's being repurposed as a police department. Above the doorway was the school model when it was first built. These doors are open to all who wish to learn. I was always amused that the detention center kept these words above the door, because the youth who were incarcerated had been placed there to teach them to change their lives, to repent of their wrongdoing. These doors are open to all who wish to learn. In the same way, we need to learn that we have sinned and that we need to repent. We are not righteous, but God is. We have to come to our God with the desire to learn what righteousness and mercy mean to him. We know that God's doors are open to all who wish to learn from him. Our God is a just God. He is also a merciful God, and his doors are always open to those who wish to learn and to be forgiven. Someone once said, and I'm going to say this slowly, someone once said, you can't repent too soon, for you don't know how soon it may be too late. With that, the lesson is yours. If anyone is in need, to be baptized or to ask for the the prayers of the congregation, you have the opportunity to do so, as together we stand and sing our song of invitation.